There are a lot of amazing stories that came out of World War II. Some of those stories sadly have been forgotten. Some of those stories were almost forgotten. And I think one of the stories that qualifies as one of those almost forgotten stories is the story of the Battle of Lanzareth Ridge. December 16, 1944, in Lanzareth, Belgium, the 394th Infantry was given just one objective by their commander. One objective. Hold this town. Hold the town of Lanzareth. And so on that day, December 16, 1944, 18 soldiers and four forward artillery observers defended a town of 23 houses and one church. And for 20 hours, they defended that town until they ran out of ammo. And at dusk, they were finally flanked by the German army. At the end of the battle, one had been killed. Fourteen had been wounded. All of those who survived were captured. And by every estimation, by every way that you can judge success in that operation and in that day and and in that town, by every way that you can judge success, they had failed. And in the end, it didn't matter. And in the end, they didn't matter. Now trust me, it is easy in a small town to think that you just don't matter. It is easy to think that the real excitement is somewhere else. That victory is found in in bigger places with Bigger battles where you have far more support, where you're not going to run out of ammo. And it's easy to forget that your commanding officer has given you a task. That he has given you a task. A task for right here, for right now, for right where you are to hold this town. And the question is, can you, can I, can we be faithful to that task no matter what? We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1 today, verses 11 through 14. If you want to follow along in those blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 976. We also have the notes uploaded and the scripture references uploaded to you version if you want to follow along there. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. Now, last week we started the chapter, we started Ephesians 1, and we looked at those first 10 verses. And in those 10 verses, Paul told us who we are, who we are as individual. Christians, who God has created us and and recreated us to be. That we we are blessed. We are chosen. We have been adopted as sons. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. That is who we are. That's who God has made us to be. And then He told us why. In verse 10, He told us why. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. You see, God has a plan. He has an objective for us. The first step of that objective is just knowing who you are. That's the the first step. That tells us what kind of people we will be. It tells us how we can trust God for victory no matter where we are. And so we read on in, in verse 11, in Him that is in Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, 
so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of His glory. For the five days leading up to that battle of Lanzareth Ridge, for five days, those 18 men prepared. They dug foxholes in those, in those days. They covered those foxholes with stacks of wood. For five days, they stockpiled the ammo that they needed and the other supplies they needed. They didn't just dig foxholes for fighting. They, they dug holes where they could sleep, where they could take their rest from time to time. And the day before the battle, Totally beyond their control, out of nowhere, the snow started to fall very lightly on the town of Lanzareth, and it hid their foxholes perfectly, perfectly covered the wood that they had placed on top. You see, it, it wasn't that they were big enough, because they were not big enough. It wasn't that they were experienced enough, because they were not experienced enough. They were led by First Lieutenant Lyle Buck, who was 20 years old, he is 21st birthday would be the next day. What were you doing at 20? Were you leading a battalion of men? It's that they did what they had to do. They, they trusted their orders. And that's where we have to start. That's where we start as individuals. That's where we start at the, as the church. Before anything else, we have to trust God's plan for us. And again, it's, it isn't just about who we are. It's about whose we are. It's about who we belong to. He didn't lavish grace upon us so that we could just look good. He did it so we could serve His purpose. So we could serve His plan. A plan that's bigger than us. And yet, we are who we are because God knows that we are essential to His plan. He knows that we are needed. We're part of that plan. Again, verses 11 and 12. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And as I said last week, there is not enough time for us to mine all the significance out of those two verses. And so first and foremost, what you have to notice there is what you have received from God is according to His purpose for you. His purpose for you here and now. It's not just so you get to go to heaven. It's not just that He saved you so that you get to go to heaven. It's not just that He has forgiven you so you can sleep tonight knowing the things that you have done and, and the way that you have hurt yourself, the way that you have hurt other people. What God has given you is for His purpose. For His will for you. For His will for all of us. And so just as we trust in His grace to save us, we trust in His will to guide us. And I think that's where we get in trouble. Because we're more concerned about our own will than we are about God's will. I think that's where we get discouraged when we start being more concerned about our own will. We're looking at our own plans instead of God's plans. And our plans look way different than God's plans. Our plans always look like what we think Victory is by our measure of success. And how do we measure success? We measure success uh, with a big house, with a great job, with, with a big fat bank account. We measure success with a, with a big church, with, with lots of people. When the reality is, God's plan might be hold this town. 
Hold this town. Do not let the enemy in. Do not let the darkness overtake this town. Now, I've got good news. The good news is we don't have to come up with a plan of our own. We don't have to come up with a plan of our own because God already has a plan. All we have to do is get on board with it. Now, admittedly, that is still a challenge because it involves adjusting our expectations. It, it involves adjusting our vision and dismantling our plans and, and changing our view of what a win looks like. Kind of like the man you saw in that video. It might involve us changing what, our view of what the church looks like and where the church is and what the church does. But God has a plan for you, for me, for our, for our community, for our world, and our job is to get on board with His plan. And it begins with trusting His plan for us. That is essential. But equally as essential is we need to hold to the promise that God has given us. The 394th Infantry held to the plan that had been given them. Hold this town. You know, in the days that followed, Lieutenant Buck considered the wounding of, of 14 men in his squad, the, the killing of one, the capture of all of them, he considered that to be a complete failure. He remembered the battle as being a hellish nightmare. That was his words, a hellish nightmare. And we can feel that too sometimes. We can feel that in our battles. We can feel that in, in what we go through. It's a hellish nightmare. It reminds me of what Paul said about his time spent in Ephesus, the, the, the city that he's now writing this letter to. And Paul's time in Ephesus, he said, we despaired of life itself. We considered ourselves, we considered that we had received a death sentence. He says it was a hellish nightmare. But then Paul looked to something greater and we can look to something greater also. We can look to God's promise. Because no matter the battle, God has already given us the promise there in verse 13. In Him, that is in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You hear that? You were sealed. It's completed. It's done. You have already received this. That word seal, it was, a, it was like a die. It was, like a, it was an image, sometimes made out of precious metal, sometimes made out of stone, but it had an image. Every family had their own seal, their own image. And they would place that image on, on things that they owned. They would place that image on everything that they valued. All of a person's significant property was marked with that seal. And you hear what God says about His gift of His Holy Spirit to you. He's saying, you are valuable to Me. You are significant to Me. You are precious to me and I mark you with my seal. You're important enough that he's placed his image on you. Now, now realize what that means. That means that in the moment of battle, in that conflict that too often is within us, as well as outside of us, in that struggle we have within ourselves and sometimes in our world and sometimes in our community, your victory is not in your own strength. Your victory is not in your own ability or our success together. Victory is found in how God values you. Let me read it again. Verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Here are the tense of those verbs. You heard the truth. You believed in Him. You were sealed. Again, these are completed facts. These are true of who we are and these cannot be taken away from us. So when we're overwhelmed, 
by the conflict around us, when we start to look at statistics that tell us that 57% of our neighbors in this county, 57% of the people in this county have no faith at all, no belief in God, no background in the church at all, no faith of their own, when we hear things like that and we're overwhelmed and we suddenly start thinking, I want to go back to the way things used to be. I want to go back to the way things were in the 50s when everybody believed in God. No one was doing anything wrong. I wasn't here for that, but I hear things. Or I want to go back to the way things were in the 80s because everything was prosperous and we were growing and there were all kind of amazing things happening in the 80s. I was around for that. When we get to wanting to go backwards, remember that, that God's promise God's promise isn't just eternal. God's promise is for today also. It's for today. It's for right here. It's for right now. And, and again and again, it comes back, hold this town. His promise does not draw us back into retreat. It cannot draw us back into retreat. His promise needs to propel us forward so that we serve in God's hope for all of us. You notice that the gift of the Holy Spirit is not just a seal that marks us as belonging to God. He goes on in the next verse, and he says of the Holy Spirit in verse 14, the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Possession of our inheritance to the praise of His glory. It's not just a seal. The Holy Spirit is also a guarantee. God's promise for today is awesome, but it is just a deposit. It is just His First payment, that deposit is His presence, His Holy Spirit with you to, to guide you, to comfort you, to teach you, to bless you, so that no matter what the struggle you face or the battle we find ourselves in together, we know we are never alone. He says it is a guarantee of our inheritance. It is a promise that there is a relationship here that I have with you, and I'm giving you the guarantee that this relationship only gets better. That's what it is. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. 31 years ago, this past Thursday night, 31 years ago, Thursday night, I slipped a ring on Trisha's finger and I made a promise. I said, baby, things are only going to get better. And it's true. She's still waiting. She still thinks things are going to get better someday. And you know, they might. I keep thinking, yeah, it's got to get better sooner or later. It can't get, you know, it's got to get better. The best is yet to come. That's the promise. And she's, she's, she's been so faithful to wait for the best to, to show up. But, but knowing that God keeps His promises, knowing that He's already given us His presence, how can we face the future with fear? How, how can we want to retreat? How can we want to go back? How can we not want to do what He's called us to do? I'll tell you how. It happens when we take our eyes off of His plan. It, it happens when we take our eyes off of God's plan and, and we put them on our own plan. It happens when we measure faithfulness and success by our own measure. It happens when we have a bigger desire for things to remain the same or, or go back to the way they were than for us to actually put the effort in to dig in to where we are now and prepare for a future that we can't see yet. Because no matter what, God has called us to be faithful. And no matter what, He has given us His promise. And so beyond anything we can see, beyond anything we can see in our world or in ourselves, that is our hope. We have hope in His promise. I used to love to joke 
I don't know how many times I said this, but, but I used to love to joke and say, you know, I grew up in a town a lot like this one. See, it's very funny. You're laughing right now. I grew up in a town a lot like this one. I don't say that anymore. This town doesn't look a thing like the town I grew up in. Jeff Reardon and I were coming back from the conference last Saturday in Lincoln. And we both said, this, this town doesn't look a thing like what, we, like, like what it did when we grew up. For some of you, some of you, 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 you grew up with your parents bringing you to church. You've, you've heard someone say this before. I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church every Sunday. I was drugged to Sunday school. I was drugged to VBS. Some of you had a drug problem in your home. Others of you, I did not have a drug problem, but there were pushers out there. And, uh, and the pushers would show up at my house on Sunday morning and drive me to church. Or they'd show up in my house and say, you're going to youth group tonight. Like, I don't want it. Yes, you are. And they would make me go to youth group. There were, there were people who were, who were pushing me in that. In a county where 57% of people have no faith at all, do you think there's that kind of drug problem? There's not that kind of drug problem anymore. There's other drug problems. We can't expect parents to push their kids and drag their kids to church anymore. It just doesn't happen. Not when they don't have any belief at all. We can't go on believing that the days behind are, are the same as the, as the days ahead. That the days ahead are going to look like they did in the past. We can't go on believing that. But I'll tell you what the days ahead do look like. They look like faithfulness. And they look like faithfulness to God's plan. And when you trust what God has called you to do, then you can trust Him for the victory. Lanzareth Ridge, December 16th, 1944. Now, I know some of you are history buffs. And for some of you, that date ought to sound familiar. Maybe not. I don't see any heads shaking. December 16th, 1944 was the first day of the Battle of the Bulge. The first day of Germany's final push. The war would end five months later. Those 22 men in Lanzareth, Belgium, fighting as hard as they did with only one man killed, they inflicted dozens of casualties on the German army. No one's really sure of the numbers. I've read everywhere from 80 to 90 to 400 to 500. No one's really sure. All that you can say is that they fought so hard in that little town that the German army was absolutely convinced that there was probably a battalion or two up on that hill. And they probably had tanks. And so, in those 20 hours of battle, the German army diverted their supplies, they diverted their men, they diverted their army to Lanzareth, which delayed their support of the 6th Panzer Army and prevented the Germans from achieving goal number one, first objective in their push. Ruined Hitler's plan to get to Antwerp. The next day, Lieutenant Buck turned 21 at midnight, and at midnight, he was being held in a, a house there. And his birthday present at midnight that night was to have the German commander come in and him overhear what had happened and how they had ruined their plans. But no one else heard that. No one else knew that success. Instead, 
All they knew was they had failed. All they knew is they had lost. In the end, the, the 394th Infantry became the most decorated platoon in World War II for single enemy engagement. They were the only squad to receive the Presidential Unit of Citation. And they received that award in 1981. President Carter gave it to them. 37 years after their battle. And so for 37 years, all that history knew of the 394th was that they lost. For 37 years, all they knew is that they had gotten captured, that they had failed their objective to hold that town. There are very few wins in a town the size of Lanser. And there are very few wins in a town the size of Kansas. And if we're looking for victory the way we used to look for victory, if we're looking for victory to look like it did in the 1950s, America doesn't look like it did in the 1950s. If we're expecting victory to look like it did in the 1980s, it's not going to happen. We're going to miss God's call for today if we keep looking backwards. So what will our wins look like? Well, Gary got baptized Wednesday night. I'd say that looks like a win for Gary. <laughs> That's a win for all of us. Last Sunday night, the youth room was packed with kids. And prior to the youth room being packed, they were in here worshiping. I don't know, they, they need to invite the rest of us to come sometime and, and do that. Or you guys just come and do it for us on a Sunday morning sometime. But, but the youth room was packed. And after youth group, I met with two boys in my office and we talked about baptism. And there's at least three kids in our youth group who are ready to say yes to Jesus in baptism. But you realize their parents probably still aren't going to drag them here on Sunday mornings. Not all of them. And so our faithfulness and our, our faithfulness to them and our faithfulness to, to what God is doing in, in their lives might look different than it used to. We're going to have to find different ways to celebrate that and, and to nurture them. Last week we fed 40 plus high school kids in the other room and they prayed together, they laughed together, they had a good time together. That was a win. This past weekend there's a family in our community that is eating because they didn't have any money for food and we took care of them. Our benevolence ministry took care of them. That's a win. Last night, 13 13 people struggling with addiction came together and met here in this building. They find peace here. They find fellowship here. They find, they find the answer. They find God here. That's, that's a win. It may take 10 years. It may take 20 years. It may take 37 years to see the victory. Or we may only see it in eternity. But today, we need to be faithful to God's call. We need to be faithful to the mission He's given us, the hope He's given us. We need to hold this town. Let's stand and pray. Father, we will admit that the challenges before us, they often look so overwhelming. We used to point to the godlessness in other parts of our country, other parts of our world, but it is here, it is at our door. And there are many times we feel intimidated and we feel like the battle is lost, but in those times, we confess that what's happened is we've forgotten who we are, we have forgotten whose we are. 
And we have forgotten Your promise and Your purpose and Your plans. And so we have to pray today first for ourselves. Call our hearts back to You. You have sealed us as Yours, so let's act like it. You filled us with Your Holy Spirit, and so let us serve empowered by Your presence. Let us hold to Your plan for us, for, your, for our community, and for Your church. Your plan will guide us to victory. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.